Please take your scriptures and open them to Matthew chapter 12. You are a fine-looking group this morning. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Stranger Than Fiction. It's with Will Ferrell. He plays a kind of a, a boring character who works for the IRS in the back room, an auditor, who suddenly finds himself the subject of narration only he can hear. Crick discovers that he's the main character in an author's novel. The author is Karen Eiffel, and Crick's dull existence is affected when he realizes that the narrator is actually planning his death. Enlisting the help of a literature professor, Harold actually meets the novelist. After meeting uh, her character, the novelist changes the ending of her book to save his life. Towards the end of the movie, the literature professor and the author have a discussion, and the professor asks why she changed the ending of the book, and here is her answer. She says, because it was a book about a man who doesn't know he's about to die and then dies. But if a man does know he's going to die and dies anyway, dies willingly, knowing he could stop it, then, I mean, isn't that the type of man you want to keep alive? Interesting, huh? Jesus was a man who knew he was going to die. He could have stopped it, but he went willingly, knowingly. Jesus is the type of man you want to keep alive. Yet for you and me, he died. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's exactly what Jesus is implying, this gospel, when he answers the Pharisees one day. You look with me at verse 38 in chapter 12. God's word says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Then he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, chapter 12 in Matthew is, is a pretty rough day for Jesus. It begins when, with a confrontation with the Pharisees about breaking the Sabbath. It continues, and the Pharisees actually denounce his ministry by saying that he's doing all these miracles by the power of the devil. So when they ask for a sign, Jesus knows that they're not asking with a 
willing heart. He, they're not asking to be shown something so that they can believe, but to condemn him. So he calls a spade a spade, and he says, you're a, a wicked and an adulterous generation. And he's not going to give them a sign at that point. But he will give them a sign later, he says. He says, look for the sign of Jonah. Jesus is telling the Pharisees that he's going to die, be buried, and rise from the dead. He's telling them that. And just like Jonah, he's going to be a sign for them. Here he's, he's drawing on the prophet Jonah. Prophet Jonah is a small book in the Minor Prophets, this little section in the Old Testament, 12 books. 12 relatively short books that tell the story of of 12 different prophets that go and prophesy. Jonah is actually a narrative, a story of one prophet's experience. Actually tells the story of of a pretty disobedient prophet, if you know this book. Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh, which is the capital city of Assyria at that time. Assyria was was the ruling power in that area. And he's told by God to go and tell that city to repent, to turn to God and to ask for forgiveness for the atrocities they had committed. Now, this would be like modern-day equivalent of during World War II, 1943, at the height of the war, for somebody to go into Berlin and walk in with Hitler and his SS around him and ask them to repent of all the atrocities that they were committing. Syria was the sworn enemy of Jonah's homeland, Israel. They had conquered Israel and, and abused them. They had deported more than half of their population, ripped families apart. They had killed their leaders. And Jonah speculates when God tells him to go to Nineveh. He speculates. He says, he thinks, I know the character of God. I know that he is graceful, that he is compassionate, that he is slow to anger, that he is abounding in in love and mercy. He's the kind of God that gives second and third and fourth chances. I know this God. He's the kind of God that if I go and do this to these people I hate, he actually might forgive them. And so Jonah goes the opposite direction. He disobeys God. He flees. His logic, in his logic, he says, you know, if I never go to Nineveh, there's no way they're ever going to have an opportunity to repent and the people that I hate will die. The people that have hurt me will die. So he hops on the first ship headed in the opposite direction, determined not to obey God, determined not to do what God says, determined to get as far away from God as possible. Perhaps you're sitting here today thinking, I get that. I'm here on Easter Sunday, and I'm kind of glad that it's not sunny and 60, that it's foggy and 40, because I wouldn't want to waste my time 
in here when I can be out there. This is not exactly where I love to spend my my Sunday mornings. I'm only here today because it's Easter. If that's you, I first of all want to thank you for, for being here. I think it's a great, wonderful sacrifice that you're here, and I'm, and I'm glad you're here, and I hope you feel comfortable and welcomed enough to come back. But I want you to know that the way you're feeling, you're not alone. Because we all actually have a bent away from God. That's how we're all naturally born. Bending away from God. Not, not running towards God, but away from God. So as you're sitting here thinking that, you're among a lot of people that know what you feel like. We all feel that way naturally. We don't like being told what to do by God. We all don't like living under the authority of God. We all are born wanting, not wanting to be around God. But I want to tell you that God wants to be around you. And that's why he's the God of second chances. Like Jonah, he didn't let Jonah just go. If you know the story, God created a once-in-a-lifetime storm that battered the ship that he got on for days and days and days in the Mediterranean. The sailors do everything they can to survive, throwing things off board, you know, trying to set anchors. But they come to realize that something else is going on here. That this storm is nothing they've ever seen before. That this is a supernatural storm. And you know what? Jonah realizes that too. He, if you know the story, he goes down below deck. Jonah comes to realize that this storm, he's responsible for it. That it's his fault. Which he admits to the sailors when they come to him and ask him. And then he realizes that something has to be done about this situation they're in. Because they're all going to die. And so he says, you know what? If, if you throw me over, this, the storm will stop. And so, reluctantly, actually, the sailors throw Jonah overboard. But God isn't done with Jonah even then. God provides a, a great fish, it says, to swallow Jonah up. And he spent three days in that fish. And the Lord commanded the fish to, to it says, the scripture actually says, to vomit Jonah up on dry land, alive. And Jonah goes and preaches the gospel of, of forgiveness to the Ninevites. And, and just as Jonah thought, they repent and God forgives. In the course of that whole city, the course of all those lives are drastically changed. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees on that day, my death is going to have an effect like Jonah's. And that's the sign of Jonah for Jesus. Just as Jonah was buried in the belly of that fish for three days and then resurrected, he says, that's what's going to happen to me, Jesus says. 
He was basically laying out the gospel for the Pharisees that day. We can fast forward into John's gospel in chapter 3, verse 16, where God's word says, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. You see, there was another sending. You see, Jesus, like Jonah, was sent by God. But unlike Jonah, Jesus would come willingly, knowingly, obediently. If you know anything about the Gospels, if you've read those first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you read that that Jesus lived a perfect life. This is one of the amazing things that that Christians have to actually kind of gulp and swallow and go, is this true? Jesus lived a sinless life, willingly obeying God. Even saying one day that, that my bread, my, my sustenance is to do the will of my Heavenly Father. And he would preach peace and hope and acceptance and forgiveness that's found in only one place, and that is in him. And when things got hard, Jesus didn't run away. Like Jonah he would willingly allow men to blame him. That's what we learned about on Good Friday, isn't it? He, he, he was innocent, yet he allowed himself to be convicted. Allowed himself to be convicted of a crime he didn't commit. And men threw him, not overboard, but down on a cross, a Roman cross where he would suffer and die. And then, like Jonah, he would be buried for three days, proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that that Jesus just didn't faint, he just didn't swoon, that he was really dead. And then, like Jonah, he would miraculously appear alive again, raised from the dead, resurrected, proving that he was actually God coming in the flesh proving that he did actually pay for people's sins on that cross, substituting himself. Proving. The resurrection proves that Jesus can be trusted. And John 3.16 goes on to tell us that whoever believes in what Jesus said and did will not die, but have eternal life. And that is Jonah for you. That's the sign of Jonah for you. Jesus offers whosoever will believe, whoever will believe, will have eternal life. Now that that depends on on three things though. Three, Three only ifs, if you will. Only if you realize. Only if you realize who you really are. You will be saved only if you realize who you really are. Jonah didn't want to listen to God. When God told him to go one way, he went the other way, right? And that's that's a ton like you and me, isn't it? That's like us. When God tells us to do one thing, we 
our natural proclivity is to go the other way. We, the human race, have, have literally brushed God off and said, not your way, my way. Not what you say, what I say. Not what you want to do, but what I want to do. When God wants us to go one way, we go the other. Our natural bent is not toward, but away from God. We have to realize that that's who we naturally are. Like the worm that is born inside an apple and eats its way out, we are born with an appetite. An appetite for sin. An appetite for the things that God tells us not to do. And that sin nature makes its way out in the form, many, in many different forms in each one of our lives. Maybe it, that sin nature comes out in the form of anger. Or, or sometimes the, the sin nature comes out in the form of, of, of slander. And sometimes it comes out in the form of, of sexual immorality. Or of jealousy. Or of hatred. Or selfish ambition. Or enviness. Or drunkenness. Or gossip, greed, and grudges. We say it a lot around here, around this church. Our natural reaction to that list is to say, I'm not like that. But really, the way to salvation is to say, yeah, I'm a lot more like that than I'd, I'd like to say, than I'd like to verbalize. The world tells us over and over again that we are basically good and we sometimes slip up. And the Bible tells us that we're basically sinful and sometimes we slip up and do good things. So the first step towards eternal life is realizing that we are sinners. The second if only, is to repent. If only you would repent. You realize who you are and you repent of that. Just like Jonah. When the sailors, remember, came down to ask him what's going on, if he knew anything about this storm, Jonah said, it's my fault. It's me. I'm to blame. And the Bible says that the only way to come back into a relationship with God is by saying exactly the same thing. It's by saying, it's not by saying, I'm not like that. It's by saying, I am like that. It is my fault. I am to blame. It is me. It's the problem here. The Bible calls that repentance. And here is where a lot of people balk. They pause. Because we're a lot like Jimmy. Jimmy had trouble pronouncing the letter R, so his teacher gave him a sentence to practice. And the sentence was this, Robert gave Richard a rap in the ribs for roasting the rabbit so rare. <laughs> Just practice that, Jimmy. After about a week, he came back and the teacher asked him to say the sentence and, G and Jimmy rattled it off like this. Bob gave Dick a poke in the side for not cooking the bunny enough. <laughs> he had successfully avoided 
using the letter R. And that's the same with us today. We go to great lengths to avoid the R word, repentance, don't we? Repentance can and is an incredibly difficult thing to do. For even the people that you look at and go, not Mother Teresa, whoever you have in your mind, yeah, it's hard for everybody. Because we do not want to admit when we sin. When we don't do something that we said we were going to do, what do we do? We lie. When we want something and can't have it, what do we do? We envy, we covet, some of us steal. When we get hurt, boy, what do we do when we get hurt? We hold grudges. We'll hurt back. When we hurt others, what's our reaction? Ah, that wasn't so bad. When we lust, we hide it. We treat our sin much like a college freshman does his laundry. He goes to the dorm laundry room with his dirty clothes bundled in an old sweatshirt. He never opens up the bundle. He pushes it into the washer and turns it on. When the washer is done, he takes that bundle out and shoves it into the dryer and turns it on high. When the dryer's done, he takes that bundle back to his dorm room and opens it up. And he discovers that his clothes had gotten wet and then dry but not clean. God doesn't want us to keep our sins bundled up and hidden. He wants us to do a thorough cleansing of that dirty laundry in our life. He wants us to take that bundle and not go to the washing machine, but go to the cross and open it up and say, here I am. Please forgive me. And if we do, Scripture says he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive your sin. And that's the last if only. If only you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If only you would believe. Paul in Acts 16 told the Philippian jailer when he asked, what must I do to be saved? What do I have to do? Give me something to do. That's our question, isn't it? Give me something to do. Make me, make me climb Mount Katahdin in my bare feet. Give me something hard to do that I can do. And you know what Scripture says? And you know what Paul answered the jailer? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the work. Belief. In other words, trust Jesus as God. In other words, trust that he took the punishment for your sin on the cross. In other words, trust that he has the power to forgive you. And if you do, just like Jonah, you'll be reborn alive. You will be, well, the biblical word is born again. In a rural area in northern Kansas, just outside Topeka, is a unique B&B named Subterra Castle. It's unique because its multiple apartments goes down into the earth about 100 feet. 
Each rentable apartment has bedrooms, a full kitchen, bathrooms, even fireplaces. The manager of the property said his vision for the site is greater than just giving travelers a place to stay. He wants it to become a destination. He said, noting that Subterra is the first and only B&B that once housed nuclear warheads. You see, that's because it is a converted missile silo from the Cold War. That's what God wants to do to you if you realize, repent, and believe. If you believe in Jesus, you are converted. You are born again. He takes this old missile silo that is full of anger and bitterness and grudges and gossip and envy and covetousness, a nuclear warhead of sin. And he makes it into something far better and far more beautiful than you can ever ask or imagine. He changes you. If only you will realize, repent, and believe in Jesus Christ. He will change the course of your entire life. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you for your word and for Jesus Christ, who has the power to forgive our sins and give us life eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.